BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Josh Hammer. Welcome back. So we have our first repeat guest on the show this week. We will be joined momentarily by Dave Rubin of The Rubin Report. Dave's become a good personal friend over the past year. He was one of our very first guests when we launched this thing almost a year and a half ago now. So, you know, when Dave first came on the program, we were talking about his move to Florida. He was the Florida man. I think he still has Florida man in his Twitter bio, talking about moving in and all the accoutrements and the amenities and all that stuff. But a lot has changed. A lot has changed in in the past year and a half. We talked about a lot of those changes in our show just last week with Jenna Ellis. Among those major changes, of course, is the fact that our governor, Ron DeSantis, has, as of last week, decided that he is going to toss his hat into the ring, as has been much anticipated and often predicted for the presidential nomination next year. So spoiler alert slash warning, if you are anything other than a fan of Ron DeSantis or at least open-minded to being persuaded to support Ron DeSantis, if you are for some unforeseen reason a hater, this episode might not be for you, but you shouldn't be a hater because he's actually really quite good at his job. And I can't wait to get into that and talk about all of that with our next guest, Dave Rubin. So we're very excited for that conversation. Let's go ahead and just take it to a super quick commercial break here. We've got Dave Rubin coming up on the other side of this break. He's with the Rubin Report. He's the best. So I'm Josh Hammer. We're taking it to a quick break. Stay with us. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back. So as previously mentioned, we have our first repeat guest, I believe our first repeat guest in the history of this show. And that, of course, is my good friend and fellow Florida man, Dave Rubin. He is the host of the ever so popular Rubin Report and the author of Don't Burn This Country. So, Dave, good to see you, my man. Thanks so much for joining us once again. I cannot believe this, Josh. First repeat guest. I'm feeling incredible pressure. I'm already (laughs) under a lot of pressure. Because, uh, you know, I'm out there politically telling people they should believe in freedom and that the United States is good. 
and that sort of radical stuff, but now also a repeat guest with Josh Hammer. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try to live up to the to the hype. Yeah, we're really kind of shifting the goalposts here as far as how much pressure we can possibly put on Dave Rubin before he starts to crack and wilt under it. But I guess we'll give it our best shot here on, on the Josh Hammer Show today. So, Dave, when you and I first chatted, which was, I don't know, 15, 16 months ago or so on this particular show, obviously you've been kind enough to have me as a guest multiple times since then. You know, you had just moved to Florida and we were doing the whole Florida thing. You were moving into your house construction. So a lot has changed since then. So before we kind of get into the whole 2024 DeSantis Trump, we're going to get into all that. But before then, how are you loving it? I mean, I assume that you're having a great time down here, right? It's been over a year now. Well, it's funny. I'll hit the political part for just one sentence and then I'll move to the direct answer. My support of DeSantis is directly connected to my life. And by my life, I mean my life, my family, my children, the two companies that I brought here, the friends and family that I have in Miami and throughout greater Florida, the flourishing that I've seen here, that you've seen, that everyone knows. Um, you know, you don't have to be too political to really understand when things are working in one place and not working in another. I always tell people, you know, we can debate about tax rates and we can debate about abortion and foreign policy and everything. But at the end of the day, you just have to look, where do people want to live and where do they want to flee? Right. People are fleeing California and New York in droves. They are going mostly to Florida, slightly less so to Texas and Tennessee and a couple right. other Midwestern states. That's just the fact. So that that to me is like the very easy bumper sticker way of showing what direction the country is going in and what's working and what's not working. But I would say, look, I, I live in Miami. Uh, Florida is the freest state in the nation. America is still the freest country in the world. So I, I think I live in basically the epicenter of freedom. Uh, we have no income tax here. We have infrastructure that is strong. We have very low unemployment, and which of course then leads to low homelessness. We don't have the drug problem. I'm, now I'm talking about Miami, which is obviously our, our most metropolitan city. We don't have the homelessness and drug problem that is in almost every other big city. Miami was just voted the fittest city in the United States. There is such a flourishing here specifically, but it's across all of Florida. And that's why uh, when I get into political debates with people or why I've been so outspoken about DeSantis, I don't worship politicians, but I do love freedom. And I think when every now and again, you get a, a once in a generation guy who's defending that stuff, and, and that, maybe that's not even the right way to put it, who is actually going on the offense related right. to some of this, because often we're just playing too much defense, but proactively doing the right things to create the conditions so that you can live as you see fit. You got to defend that guy and you got to run with that. And that's what we have here in Florida. And I can truly say this last year and a half uh, has been the most rewarding of my life. And, uh, and I think this is just the beginning. No, it truly is just the beginning. And, you know, I couldn't have, I really could not have said it any better than that. I mean, I started off in Miami proper, moved, moved to the suburbs in, in my older age, I guess, over the past year or so. But it's certainly not gone any worse, if anything. You're I, retiring to Del Boca Vista, <laughs> yeah, aren't you? I yeah. you were going to end up living next door to the Seinfelds. Yeah, give me a Cadillac, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> Clompus. Exactly. Okay. Um, all right, now, we'll, we'll, <laughs> you know, Dave and I could actually go on the Seinfeld references all day, but we'll, we'll, we'll put that off to the side for now. But, you know, I have, yeah. a, very, I have a very similar experience that you've had. I mean, this really has been the most gratifying, I guess, closer to two years for me of my entire life. 
So, uh, you know, like you, Dave, I, I moved here in no small part due to the policies. I've been very open about this. I was one of the many people who moved here because of Ron DeSantis' COVID policies, perhaps above everything else, not just the COVID policies. I mean, kind of just everything that Florida is doing, the whole Florida blueprint, which you and I know inside and out by now. But let me ask you this. I mean, you and I have seen Governor DeSantis up close. We've, you know, we've, we've met him any number of times now. We've seen this agenda. We've literally lived this agenda at kind of the height of the epicenter of the whole Florida a thing. But one question that I've gotten from some folks is, why wouldn't you want him to stay as governor of Florida? Like, like you've moved to Florida for these policies. Why should you kind of just hop on the national bandwagon? You know, because after all, who will replace him in Tallahassee? How do you respond to that? I think it's a great question. And as a Floridian, I can absolutely make the argument that he should not run for president and he should stay here for these four years and continue to solidify what he has done to this state and then figure out a way to have someone come after him that will continue all of that. That's a very easy argument to make. I would say that what this really is about right now is that if the American experiment is to continue, and I would say it's tenuous at best, whether it's to continue, meaning the United States of America, this 250 year experiment, if it's to continue, we have to send out the best of the best right now. And I get, as a Floridian, the inclination to be like, you know what, Cali is so screwed up, New York, Connecticut, Jersey, all of these blue states are so screwed up, you know, we'll take some of the refugees, but forget them. We just don't want anything to do with it. But as long as the federal government exists to some extent, certainly a federal government that has the amount of power, overreaching power, uh, that that our founding fathers would be very upset by, by the way, as long as it exists at that capacity, then we have a duty to send out the best to fix that. I think Ron DeSantis is the best. So I would say we are right now, we are taking a risk. We are saying, hey, in our castle here, we've got this awesome guy who's defending the gates and doing it well. And yeah, the barbarians are at the gate, but our gates are strong. Our infrastructure is strong. We've got a moat and we've got some gators there. We're going to be okay (laughs) here. Let's send him out to the grand fight. And by the way, that's partly why I've been so outspoken in my support. I think it's partly why why you have and some other people that we know, because he can't do it alone. He needs some extra help. He needs some air support while he's doing it. But I fully get if I meet and I do meet these people, if I go to the the farmer's market on Sunday over here or wherever I go to the supermarket, people will come up to me and, oh, you know, I wish DeSantis could just stay. I get that inclination. But to me, this is our last great chance. If we end up with Biden as president again, just imagine how much worse things will get. Or we get Kamala or God forbid we get Gavin Newsom or whatever they're going to do when they kick Biden out and eventually kick Kamala out, you know, like some trick that they're going to do there. Or, you know, I suppose we could end up with Trump again. I liked Trump. I'm really struggling with my with my former support of him at this point. I don't, I don't regret the former support, but I'm, I'm I don't know what to do with Trump at this point. He's not making a case for himself anymore. He's only constantly basically lying about DeSantis. And while at the same time saying that he's number one and he has nothing to worry about. And it's like, dude, that doesn't make any sense. Obviously in the last couple of days, you know, turning on Kaylee, who who was his number one competent, cogent ally, just terrible. Um, But look, if Trump ends up president, miraculously, and DeSantis is back here in Florida, I will ultimately be okay with that. I just think this is the chance to fix the thing. This is our best chance. Josh, you and I have met his team. These are good, competent people. They don't leak. 
they have vision, there's discipline. It's what we've all asked for. So I think we just have to go all in on that. I mean, I agree basically with every word of that. I mean, to me, it boils down to two things. I mean, one is the Florida Constitution has gubernatorial term limits. So he's literally termed out in 2026 anyway. So, I mean, the best case scenario is you get two more years. At that point, really, is it that much of a difference? I mean, maybe in theory, but it's kind of a hard argument to make. And then the other argument is, you know, in order to say, like, truly, that, like, DeSantis should be here, we should amend the Florida Constitution, make him dictator for life, all that stuff. I mean, that's like a real kind of doomer kind of national divorce on steroids level take. So if you have like any glimmer of hope left for these United States as a collective national entity, if you truly do believe in not to kind of go all like nostalgic, but you actually believe in like e pluribus unum, you know, out of many one, if you believe in all those kind of catchy phrases and whatnot, you've got to take the chance right now because this thing really is kind of slipping off the rails very, very quickly. Josh, I would also say that we have to acknowledge it is possible that Trump beats him in the primary. He comes back kind of tail between his legs, somewhat wounded. But you know what? Then we get the guy for a couple more years and Florida will continue to flourish. And hopefully there's other ways to export the blueprint, even if he's not the president. But it is possible Trump will beat him. I, I just think it, it's so I mean, this is the interesting thing. Even the Trump surrogates, I don't see anyone making an argument, a pro-Trump argument. They're making arguments that DeSantis is somehow a rhino and a globalist and backed by Paul Ryan and Karl Rove, which you probably saw the interview that DeSantis did the other day on, uh, I think it was on Newsmax, where he said that he has not spoken right. to Paul Ryan since he has been governor. So that's 2018. And he's only met Karl Rove once. And he said that these people have nothing to do with the campaign. George Soros has nothing to do with the campaign. And that really is another one of my frustrations with Trump. He's lying to, to, to such a degree now. And maybe he was always doing this and we all gave him a little too much leash on this. Okay, fine. But now he's doing something very dangerous, I would say, with the, with the real hardcore base. They are believing things that are so untrue about a guy who is doing everything that any big tent conservative could ever want. So it's one thing if you lie, you know, Hillary was so corrupt and the Democrat party is so corrupt and everything else that did he lie and exaggerate about her? Of course he did. Perhaps we should have called it out a little bit more. Actually, I didn't vote for him that first time around, so I probably did a bit. However, this time, if, if, if in his quest for glory, the return to the White House, his ultimate quest for power, what he will do is destroy the guy that we all know is the best, but not only destroy him, destroy him through distortions and outright lies and manipulations and trolls and all that. It's not something I really want to be a part of. I'm not saying I wouldn't vote for him if it's him against Biden, obviously, but we all just have to be careful with what we're doing here right now, I think. No, look, I mean, cards on the table. I mean, I did not vote for Trump in the 2016 general election. I was all in for Ted Cruz. I hated the personal animosity. I had no idea what we would get from Trump. You know, this was the guy who was like the pro-abortion activist his whole life. He's going to like so endorse his sister for the Supreme Court. I mean, you know, no one knew what, what the hell was going on back in 2016. Yeah. You know, if Donald Trump were to win the 2024 Republican presidential primary, I don't know if I've like explicitly said this, I'll just say right here. I mean, I, I barring something unforeseen happening, which to be clear, it could. Um, I would intend to vote for him. But 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 like you, I, I am currently all in for Ron DeSantis. I think that he is 100 percent our guy in the moment. Dave, you mentioned there Kelly McEnany, which happened this week. I mean, Donald Trump just totally threw under the bus who someone who, in my opinion, was 
one of his relatively rare, like genuinely exceptional hires. Kelly McEnany did an absolutely exceptional job from the White House press secretary podium on a day in and day out basis. And I don't, I don't necessarily want to kind of go too deep in the weeds on Kelly McEnany's Donald Trump era tenure, but I do want to use that as a segue to talk about your kind of general take on this first extremely chaotic week. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to believe, but it was actually like only a week ago that, that this whole Twitter spaces thing happened. I mean, it's been like the longest week of my life, I feel like. But, but um, you know, like, like what are your general kind of perceptions of, of the level of, of fighting and back and forth and all that you've seen over the first week of Donald Trump versus Ron DeSantis? Look, the simple truth is, and I, and I know this is going to upset the Trump people, the attacks are really coming only in one direction. It's Trump posting crazy yep. things on Truth Social, and then his, you know, his crew of surrogates, who are really not a very impressive crew of people. I, I would remove Donald Trump Jr., obviously, his son, and Eric from that, who I think are fighting as hard as they can for, his, for, her, uh, for their father. I would also just tell you this. I, I haven't said this publicly yet, but I am going to tweet about it, so I may as well just tell you now. Uh, uh, Junior and I, who were friends before his dad was in politics, we've been friends for at least a decade, we texted this week, and we, I texted him first, and I said, hey, you know, we may end up on other sides of this for a little bit, but I just want you to know that I value friendship above politics, yes. and I hope that we'll be good. He responded to me within, literally within like four seconds, so his phone must have been in his hand, and he said, I absolutely agree with you, and too many people get lost in all that. So I give full credit to, to Junior. I have no doubt that Eric would do the same. Uh, I actually had a similar exchange with Ivanka, although she's a little bit outside of politics at the moment. But I would say that between what you have right now from Trump is the, the crazy posts on Trump, Truth Social that are all about DeSantis and almost all lying relentlessly, how Florida was horrible on COVID and the rest of it. And then you have his the crop of supporters who seemingly are also lying about everything, being really nasty and a a bunch of anonymous trolls. Now, I get it. We shouldn't get lost in the Twitter wars or anything else. But what I I don't see DeSantis people relentlessly attacking Trump. I see them responding with reality. You know, if you're going to lie about what he did with COVID, if you're going to lie about uh, what his other policies were, there's going to be a response. But I think that that's the danger. That's the fire that Trump has been playing with that I think is dangerous. When you knowingly say this guy is supported by Paul Ryan and George Soros and Karl Rove and blah, 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 and he's a globalist and a rhino, you now take a certain amount of people and make them believers in that. And that is a real problem. And by the way, I want to be very clear about this, Josh, and I hope you would do the same. I'm pretty sure, and I know you would actually, if DeSantis suddenly started lying about everything, I mean, how he behaved during COVID, what his policies are here, if his if he started lying or, or treating his wife differently, like all of the stuff. Of course, I would call him out. I personally have a disagreement with DeSantis on his abortion policy. I think you and I have a disagreement on that. That's just fine. I've mentioned it. The governor has every right to state what his policy is. And he was voted in and can make that the policy of Florida. I have a right to. Uh, to, you know, not agree with that. And and that's perfectly fine. And you can leave it at that political level. But that's why this has all been so disappointing with Trump, because he's unearthing all of this stuff that doesn't need to be unearthed. Think about it. If Trump right now would just say, hey, you know, actually, this DeSantis guy actually is pretty good. That is why I endorsed him twice. That is why I was backing him the whole time and have said so many nice things about him. And you know what? I am getting up there in years and I do love the rallies, so I'll keep doing those. But I'm going to back him. Biden's a horrible candidate. Let's take the country back from the crazy leftists. 
the guy could win in a freaking Reagan re-election style landslide, 49 state like craziness. I, I don't think that's too much of an exaggeration, maybe, maybe just a little bit. Uh, but, but something really wild could happen. And I hope that Trump maybe will see the tea leaves changing. I think something with this Kaylee thing did change the equation a little bit. It's one thing when you go after Christopher Ray or some of these random sort of like deep state, you know, like that level of person. When you go after someone who's become a TV star who everyone knows is thoughtful and nice, who is your best defender and well-spoken and dealt with all the BS in the press conferences during COVID and everything else, people are taking this one a little bit different. And I did see the reaction was, was not the genuine, it was not the consistent, oh, Trump is never wrong. I, I was definitely seeing a little something different today. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of of two minds on this. I mean, on the one hand, I'm, you know, I remember when he called Mika Brzezinski, like on Twitter, like needs like a facelift or whatever, you know, like the, all like the horse face stuff. I mean, you know, this is not someone who's known for his kind of social media decorum, I think would be a very polite way of saying it. I mean, you know, firing people via Twitter, although more frequently not firing people via Twitter when he should have done so, ironically, as the case may be. But, you know, the Kelly McEnany thing is interesting because, I, you know, she was such Trump loyal and she was actually like very good at her job and she's on the airwaves every day she's beloved by the republican party voting base so i guess we'll see but you know it does shine a spotlight on the 2024 campaign era of donald trump who was just a very negative figure. You know, I watch a lot of his rallies. I, I don't have a Truth Social account. Every so often I go to his page to see like what the hell crazy crap he's saying now. It's just overwhelmingly negative and bashing. And, you know, his 2016 campaign, it had some of that. But the whole Make America Great Again thing was initially like a fairly optimistic, uplifting vision. Now, to be clear, part of it was kind of, oh, the crime, the Mexicans, all of that for sure. But he was fundamentally trying to give working class and middle class Americans more opportunities to bring home the bacon and put bread on the dinner table. So what happened? I mean, did the 2020 election well, break him, you think? Yeah, I think it's partly that. And by the way, we should give him all the credit in the world, considering the entire machine tried to destroy him and the deep state tried to destroy him. And he was probably set up before he was president by Obama. Like there's so many things. There. Right. And he deserves credit for all of that. And I also grant him an extremely long leash when it comes to his behavior, because, you know, if you tried to basically fight for the right things for decades and the entire machine was always uh, attacking you and maligning you and lying about you, you might start getting a little nutty. You really might. You might start acting a little crazy. So I give him a very, very long leash about that. I actually asked him that once when I had him on the show. This is probably about two years ago. Uh, you know, if you've ever watched, and, and I would welcome anyone to watch these, just put Donald Trump Oprah or Donald Trump Phil Donahue. You can find these old interviews of him in the early 80s, mid 80s, into the 90s, where he would go on these shows. He was very, very soft-spoken, very pleasant, very thoughtful, very measured. And Oprah was supporting him, like, literally, will you run for president? Like, that's how different things were. Then over time, he got gruffer and angrier and everything else. And I, I accept that that is unfortunately part of what happens as you get in all of this. But I think the best way to analyze this, you could do an untold amount of uh, sports analogies here. This is the pitcher who just keeps going back to the, the, the fastball no matter what. It's the basketball player who only goes back to his go-to move and on the final play of the game, the other guy knows and he blocks the shot. Right. Trump is just going back to the old stuff, the old bag of tricks. And I think what's happening and why the truth social stuff now sounds so crazy is because the capitalization, Rob DeSantis. First off, why is Rob worse than Ryan? <laughs> it's just like- It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even make any sense. 
the, the crazy way of writing, you know, like you're a like the hostage part. You have someone, you know, with the crazy uh, uh, cut out letters and like all that nonsense. I think what's happened is he's basically like a magician that we know all the tricks, but he keeps doing the tricks. And we're like, OK, there's that one again and there's <laughs> that one again and there's that one again. And I think, though, to your point, in 2016 or 2015, leading up to the 2016 election, it felt fun. There right. was a funness to it. The, there was a meme world to it that felt fun. Even the memes, his meme makers, they're not as fun. Right. Okay, you put Trump's face on uh, Apollo Creed and he punched somebody. Like, it just doesn't feel as fun anymore. And I think that's partly because the movement itself has moved on. Trump was an important piece of waking up an awful lot of people. He doled out red pills more than you and I will ever be able to dole out in our lives. But that does not mean he should be king of the world forever. And I hope he realizes that. And I hope I hope that someone is around him at this point, that he has not fired or or is not just a sycophant around him that can maybe get that message across. Because there is a happy ending to this story if, if he's willing to take it. Yeah, and it, totally open question as to whether he is. I, I, had, I suspect the answer is, at least for the time being, he probably is not. But to your point, the whole thing really is giving off strong Elvis and Vegas vibes at this point. I mean, it really does seem like we've seen the best. You know, it's kind of just lower energy, negative energy, a whole lot of nonsense. But let's take it to a quick commercial break here. We are with Dave Rubin of The Rubin Report. We'll pick this up right on the other side when we get back. Stay with us. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All right, so Dave, with that table very nicely, dare I say, exquisitely set, let's start to look ahead a little bit. So the first debates in the 2024 Republican presidential primary are coming up in just over two months. I think it's in August in Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. The first votes are in Iowa in, in early February of next year. So what are the next few months going to look like from your perspective? I mean, is, there, is this level of fever pitch sustainable that we are currently in right now in, in this trench warfare? I would say no, except when you throw algorithms on it, you know, anything's <laughs> probably sustainable at this point, like our endless life of clicking and scrolling and the rest of it. I mean, first off, look at those two dates that you just mentioned. We are now in the last, we're taping this as of the last day of May in 2023. The first debate is in August of 2023. And then, as you just mentioned, Iowa, you're looking at February of 2024. I mean, this is so far away on top of the fact that the election is in November of 2024. So the, the election is still not for a year and a half. So I don't think you can keep this fevered pace for so long, but this is what elections are now. And this is what things are in our modern world and our iPhones and all that kind of stuff. So is what it is. Look, what I hope will happen here is that DeSantis will just continue to run a professional slim trim operation. I think the more people see him, the more they will like him. I think, you know, Trump in some ways is doing him a real favor because the crazier Trump goes, 
DeSantis is very measured and, and competent and stays on script and mess, his messaging is clear. It'll just make him look competent, and, which he is anyway. So it's not like he needs much of an assist, uh, much of an assist there. But I think the contrast will, will start becoming really appealing to people. I think part of the reasons that the polls are so out of whack right now are because, A, Trump, uh, DeSantis didn't get in until a week ago. So people don't like talking to, first off, who the hell talks to pollsters at this time? I think polling is completely uh, out of whack related to what really is on the ground at this point. We find that out all the time. I mean, just look at the, the red wave that never materialized. I think the more that DeSantis is out there, the more that the people will like him. I think one challenge DeSantis has for sure is that, look, it sounds like Mike Pence is getting in next week. He has no real support. I don't know why he's doing it, but he is getting in. It sounds like Chris Christie's getting in, I think, today. Uh, he has no real support. I don't know why he's doing it, but okay, he's in. You've got Vivek, you've got Nikki, uh, you've got Tim Scott. Am I forgetting anybody off the top of my head? You're forgetting Asa Hutchinson. How dare you, Dave? <laughs> the View loves Asa Hutchinson. <laughs> he's the type of conservative they can support on The View, right. Uh, the point is, it's a two-man race. Everyone knows it. I, I actually think the, the one dark horse in this, I think Nikki uh, will fare well because I think she has a good presence. She has a good track record. And I think there, there she will. I happen to like her personally. I, I don't know exactly why she's running, but I, I think she might be a little bit of a dark horse here. All that being said, all of the fire is going to be aimed on DeSantis from everybody. Nobody has to go after Trump because it, it, he, it, it's a complete known already. And the one thing that DeSantis, we haven't seen him do, is really stand up to the fire in a full-on debate stage setting. Uh, we, you were at the, uh, the debate yeah, with me, right? with you, we yeah. Together, right, right, right. right. Uh, sorry, I got two kids now. I'm not sleeping a lot. Uh, but <laughs> we were at the Florida gubernatorial debate together. They only did one. He was against Charlie Crist. Charlie Crist, deeply unlikable, deeply dishonest, has no real support, had no real positions. DeSantis beat him in the debate, obviously, but he's not an incredible debater. It, I don't think it's his strong suit. I think he will get better. You know, I've even noticed being around him the, the last two months, he does seem to be like a little more in the groove now. I don't think he liked this I'm running, I'm not running right. middle ground that he was in. Nobody would like that. You know, it's like, you know, that's why it's not good to hold secrets in because you can't, you know, you should deal in truth. And, you know, you also... When, when you're around people who kind of suspect something, but nobody can say it, it creates an awkwardness there. So I sense, uh, you know, when I saw him a few days ago in Miami, there was a real like, there was a real zest there. I think if he can keep running with that, it'll bode well for the debates, but that really will be a challenge. So, so we'll see where some of that shakes out. But I think he's got it on policy. I think he's got it on temperament. And I say all of that, again, not worshiping a politician. It's just, this is the best guy we've got. And if you see the problems that I see in this country, which I suspect many of your viewers do, then you tell me which one of these guys has a better team, a better message, a better track record. And, and it's obvious that it's nobody. Look, I mean, if you care about substance, if you, if you think public policy matters, if you think law matters, then Ron DeSantis simply has to be your guy. I mean, if you are of a right of center inclination, I mean, just the sheer level of competence, of, of, of mission orientation, of ruthless execution. I mean, you know, all the names that you rattled off, I mean, none of them even in my mind kind of come close to, to the sheer level, again, of competence, competence and sanity. Those are, those are the two words that come back to my mind over and over again. So I, I want to go back to, to the other rest of the field, though. So I, I agree with you that on kind of a one-on-one -on -one basis, you know, Mike Pence, I mean, none of these guys have a chance. What does concern me 
you know, I mentioned earlier that I was a cruise guy in 16. I, I always had these flashbacks of 2016. I had, you know, there was, this, there was this one debate in like November or December of 2015 where Cruz and Marco Rubio yeah, yeah. are ready to like punch each other across the face. And there's Trump just getting off scot-free. I mean, so I'm kind of bracing myself for a potentially similar dynamic there. I mean, what are your thoughts on kind of the quickness or the speed, I should say, with which the field would have to consolidate in order to kind of get us down to this mano a mano grand battle royale between Trump and DeSantis. Do you have any thoughts on that? Okay, well, first off, I do think Trump has lost a step. For sure, he has lost a step. You watch him in these interviews where he's mostly, first off, he's mostly golfing all day long. (laughs) He hasn't been out on the road. Why isn't he in Iowa right now? That's where DeSantis is. Um, he's mostly golfing. You see him in these interviews. His energy isn't exactly the same. I think there's a little bit of a direction confusion with him. I think that he knows that the attacks on DeSantis have not worked the way that he wanted. And I also think, you know, post this Kaylee thing, which I really don't think we can overstate, you just have to wonder who is around him at this point and who's giving him good advice and, and does he have even a team that would, that can support him enough to be out there effectively. I think the other thing, and I remember the debate you're talking about, The other thing that you have to think back of, and it's hard to remember 2015, right? We're in 2023. The world goes by so fast now. Trump was a new, he was an X factor like you could not imagine. It was a total enigma. Nobody knew what to do with it. So every day he's hitting left and right, little Marco, Lion Ted, your dad killed JFK, (laughs) jail her. Like there was so much craziness. No one knew what to do with it. You remember the, the, you were a cruise guy, but do you remember that one day when Marco Rubio tried to fire Oh, sure, of course. In, and, and he said- in Small hands. Wedding and, he, and, and Marco basically like imploded. And I, and I happen to like him personally and, as, and certainly as a senator from Florida, but he basically imploded that day because nobody knew what to do with him. Ted Cruz did not know what to do with him. The difference with DeSantis is we all know what Trump is now. And not only do we all know what Trump is, but Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, they never had the level of support in a post-COVID world where, where Florida became the citadel of freedom for the entire world, literally the world, not just the United States. People, I just got back from Israel and Hungary. As you know, everyone is talking about free Florida. That's what they all want to talk about. So there is a fundamental difference there. Trump is a known entity. That's not to say he can't do crazy things in the future. Of course he can, but it's a known entity. And you've got a guy that's been preparing for this properly to the backdrop of that. That is very different. And that's why I think there will be a much better, uh, let's say, force field around him than for Marco and for Ted, who just walked into the buzzsaw. They didn't know what to do. You can't blame them for it. It would have happened to any of us, I think. So let's talk about the whole Florida thing and moving on, perhaps, from the Florida thing. So it's kind of an awkward conversation from from one Florida man to another Florida man, especially two Florida men who moved here during COVID due in no small part due to Ron DeSantis policies. But, you know, we are now in a presidential campaign footing. We are now charting, plotting a national course. And I've watched DeSantis in Iowa over the past couple of days. I mean, he's literally just got in on the formal campaign trail for the first time. And he looks good, but, you know, I have a lot of friends who don't live in Florida who don't necessarily benefit from the policies that have been passed here, the same way that you and I have, who kind of say to me, Josh, you know, like, I know, like, make America Florida, like, woke goes to die in Florida, blah, blah, blah. But 
you know, how can he either transform this to a national setting or perhaps tweak the message ever so slightly? So put another way, I guess, I mean, you know, the factory worker, proverbially speaking, in like Kenosha, Wisconsin or Toledo, Ohio, doesn't doesn't necessarily care about this imagery of Biscayne Bay and beautiful palm trees and alligators. I mean, you know, it's appealing to you and I. But talk about your thoughts on kind of just taking the Florida thing and then kind of taking it not just nationally, but really just, I think, in particular, kind of maybe getting back to Ron's kind of personal, familial, almost Rust Belt blue collar roots. I mean, how does that translate? Right. Well, first off, you know, I don't think we can uh, underestimate how the woke thing has affected everybody, every single American to one degree or another, whether they're coming after your kids uh, based on gender identity or that sort of thing, or whether you're a, I don't know, let's say uh, you live in, uh, what is Joe Biden? Uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, and you're a coal miner from Pennsylvania, and you know what, you can't get a job anymore, but it's not because they're closing the coal plant, although they're trying to do that, the Democrats. It's actually because they're hiring based on equity now. So so if you're a 52-year-old white coal miner, you're not gonna get the job anymore because we believe in DEI, and we're gonna give it to uh, you know, the black lesbian coal miner, which I don't know how many black lesbian <laughs> coal miners there are. I'll have to check the numbers on that. But the point is the woke thing has in- infected everything. I mean, and look, people have had it. Look what's going on with Bud Light and Target right now. Right. So first off, DeSantis has that. He he has owned that. He is the one that basically, I think, put the bomb inside of Disney. We now know Disney is completely rattled. Most people are on the side of him. As he's pointed out, DeSantis, uh, Trump is trying to basically attack him from the left when it comes to uh, Disney. So that's not really working. And that, I think, exposes Trump more. You were supposed to destroy the woke, and now you're taking a giant corporation side against DeSantis. So that that doesn't really make sense in the sort of lore of Trump. Um, but what I think DeSantis can really say to the, the person who's not the metropolitan person who maybe moved because of COVID or anything else, it's the same message that resonates with all Americans. I'm not that interested in having government involved in every part of your life. There is a, there is a, a set of things government should do, which is things like defending the border. Uh, it's things like making sure we have, you know, states have interstate commerce that are not warring with each other, uh, that we have functional institutions that are based in our constitution, not based in wokeism. I mean, I think there's some basic stuff. And if you calmly lay that out to people and say, I, hey, I don't believe in high taxes. I believe in low taxes. You should keep more of what's yours. Uh, we should have a military that is prepared, but we shouldn't be launching crazy uh, nation building wars all over the world. If you say some of the basic truths, I think that will resonate with a lot of people. So again, this is one of those things where I think you got to give him a little bit of a, a runway here because he has been the governor of Florida. He has done that unbelievably well. Now you got to give him a chance to scale that. Scaling doesn't take, uh, you know, you can't just snap your fingers and scale. You got to give him a little bit of time on that one. And I, I think, look, we've been in plenty of meetings with him where he's taken questions from everybody. He know he remembers everything, which is he also really crazy. He, you could literally say to him, you know, well, in 2017, there was that vote on that random thing that, and he'll be like, well, I remember because I was standing here and I had my iPad and Laxalt was like, he just <laughs> remembers stuff. And he, and he knows what he did. And I think if you let a guy like that really get out there and flourish, uh, I think people are going to see it. No, I mean, he, he he just is an extremely impressive figure. And like, I, I again, like you, I try not to just overly kind of, you know, be gratuitous in my promotion of in individual politicians. But the COVID stuff in particular does stand out. And I say that because, you know, when he was defying 
not just Anthony Fauci, but yes, Donald Trump himself, when he was defying all of the Washington, D.C. uniparty biomedical security state complex, you know, it was not lobbyists in Tallahassee who are whispering in his ear, do this, do that. No, he was getting in there right. in these medical right. journals, going through the footnotes and like actually arriving at his own substantively derived conclusions. And he was vindicated, of course, on all of that. I mean, he was Florida won COVID. Florida literally won COVID. That's why the, the Trump attacks on DeSantis over COVID and the broader attacks on Florida, Florida, where not only Trump lives, but all of his family lives and his grandchildren live and several of his kids, Ivanka and Junior, moved to Florida during COVID, uh, largely because of DeSantis. It's almost like Trump, Trump's bumper sticker for his campaign should be Trump, don't believe in reality. <laughs> because, and, and that's why it's been so offensive what he's done. You know, when he released that crazy attack on Florida, you know, about two, three weeks ago yeah. on Friday. Uh, on it was Tuesday, late April, I remember it very well. Yeah, it, it felt, it truly felt personal to me. I don't take politics as personal, I don't. I do my show every day, I try to do it with a degree of a smile on my face and be silly about some of the stuff, but it felt like you were attacking my family. I know what this place has afforded me, uh, what it has done to allow my life to flourish. And he damn well knows it too. So when he was lying to that degree, and don't forget, Josh, remember what he did the day before that? Remember what he did the day Yeah, the 11 that? Florida congressmen in Mar-a-Lago, right? So think about how he sold them up the river. He gets 11 Florida congressmen to come to Mar-a-Lago to announce they're supporting him. That He posts a picture of it, I think around 10 p.m. By 9 a.m., he's putting out this insane statement about Florida, literally throwing them all under the bus, including guys like Byron Donalds, who I think has an incredibly bright future, who I really like and respect. And it's like, man, do you guys see what he just did to you? So this is a guy that for some reason he can cross everybody, throw everybody else under the bus. But if you dare say a word about him, you're a rhino and a globalist and a yeah. George Soros accolade. You know, it was only a few months ago where I, I know Eric Trump was in this photo on Instagram. I think Kimberly Guilfoyle might have been there. I can't quite remember, but, but I remember this photo of a lot of them at the gun range and Eric Trump was wearing a Make America Florida t-shirt. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah. the Trump children live here. They love it. I, I, I mean, those attacks are just absurd. They are blatant lies. They are fabrications and they need to be called out as such. But, you know, Dave, we're running short on time here. I do want to ask you one final question. And it's something that I've been thinking about the past couple of days as I've started to watch Ron on the campaign trail on the stump out in Iowa, kind of doing the whole shaking hands, kissing babies thing. And that is the role of his wife, Casey DeSantis, which, um, you know, I think is a very important topic. It's a very important element of Ron's campaign. Casey is someone that you and I have have both gotten to know. Why don't you explain how you envision her role over the next year? I mean, it's complicated because they have three kids, right, all under the age of six. So, you know, babysitter yeah. schedule permitting, I suppose. But how do you foresee the Casey element playing out on the campaign trail? Well, I suspect they've talked it out and they really do have a plan, but I can tell you as the father of two young kids, you know, and my kids are much younger than theirs, but theirs are pretty young, as you just said, it's like, you got to plot out a life for these children that is consistent and makes sense and make sure that when you're on the road, they're around people that love them, that can do all the right things so that they can grow and prosper properly. She'll obviously be out on the road with them. I think the kids will be with them to some degree. Uh, but, you know, you and I have been in rooms with the two of them together where they, they clearly respect each other. They defer to each other uh, often. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll be, you know, given like a little bit of a speech and he'll kind of turn to her and what do you think of that? And she'll kind of do the same to him. Uh, I think she has an interesting role to play because, you know, the, the, the knock on DeSantis that I think has, has 
I don't know, maybe stuck a little bit. I, I don't know how warranted it is, is somehow that he's like not the most friendly guy. Now, I don't really think that's true, actually. I, you know, like when I hung out with, the first time I really hung out with him was when I, he uh, closed my show. We did a show together, my book tour uh, in Orlando at the height of the nonsensical don't say gay thing. We're in Orlando of all places, Disney country. And I spent about 20 minutes just solo with him in the green room. And we talked baseball for 20 minutes. He was laughing up a storm. Like, I don't think it's like that. I also think people have to you know, decide, do you want a friend or a president? Right. Like, do you like you really have to decide that? Now, I get it. Bill Clinton playing the saxophone on Arsenio Hall. It does something. Do you want to have a drink with the guy? Well, I've had a drink with DeSantis. It's been perfectly <laughs> fine. I've, we've smoked a cigar. I don't even smoke cigars. I took a puff of the cigar. You smoke cigars with him. Uh, I don't know what's with I actually accidentally noticed only a little into the smoking that when I was exhaling, they were going straight in his face. And I, I felt so sheepish about it. I was like, Governor, I'm so sorry. And he didn't care. I mean, he, he didn't care. At all. Cigar people, I think that's like just it's, it's part of the game there. Um, but look, if if there's any degree of that, that is true. And or if, even if it's not true, if there's any degree of that that has stuck, let's say, I think she can soften that. I, I really think she can. And I think when people see them together, it will be really refreshing. You know, you have to remember, we went from uh, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, who basically either was or is a rapist to some degree, or at the very least, you know, I mean, he took a cigar and put it inside an intern while he was on the phone with the Senate Majority Leader, Trent Lott. That's just true. I don't know if I can say that on your podcast, but it's true. Okay. <laughs> the truth, the truth but, is never something that you can't say in the podcast. All right. Fair enough. Good. That should be your tagline. Um, you know, we, you know, Trump, I actually think Trump and Melania have a perfectly nice marriage. I saw them together at Mar-a-Lago and was really impressed with their relationship, but, but that never translated into something that you really saw publicly that often. I think if people see this, it, it gets to, uh, I think something we, we sort of talked about before. People want to return to normalcy. I, I also think that's why the Trump thing's not working anymore. We don't want the endless destruction. We don't want the mutually assured destruction. We want to return to normalcy. So if people see, boy, you know, DeSantis roughly has the right policies. Maybe I disagree with him a little on this or that, but he's roughly got the right policies. He seems like a good guy. His wife seems like a good lady. They have to care about the future of the country because they've got these young kids. They're out there doing it. Um, I think that will be pretty impressive. And I would just say one other thing on this. I'm curious what you think. When we've spent some time with them, I've never got the impression that they're on this like grand quest for power. Okay. I really haven't. It's more been like, we did it right here. Maybe we can do it for the country. That, that's what it's felt like to me. Um, I don't know that people get to see that yet. Maybe that can be part of the messaging, but I think there's a great opportunity there. Yeah, you know what I come back to sometimes? This was before he wrote his book, and, you know, hopefully the book did incredibly well, and hopefully he made a lot of money. But, you know, there was a disclosure last year about Ron DeSantis' net worth as, for him as an individual. It, it was yeah, shockingly like low. It was literally, yeah, it was yeah. literally between three and $400,000, which, you know, for a man in his 40s, is just very modest, right? And, and, you know, that says all you need to know. I mean, he's clearly not doing this for the money or anything. No, he's doing it because he was a U.S. Navy jag. He was in Iraq. I mean, he like actually loves this country. Hard to believe. I'm not saying Donald Trump doesn't love this country. I do think that Donald Trump loves this country, but Ron DeSantis 100% loves this country. His marriage with Casey is just so interesting because they, they are so madly in love with each other, but they also have this very unique kind of symbiotic political relationship as well. And it's, it's very interesting. You know, it's, it's been interesting for us to see up close. And now it's interesting for the Iowa voters, New Hampshire voters to see that up close as well. But 
you know, Dave, unfortunately, we're out of time here, but I have to tell you that you did clear the very high threshold for a first time repeat guest. So you're welcome back anytime, my man. Thank you so much for joining us. So you would say that this was the best ever repeat guest performance on the Josh Hammer podcast? I would say it is both the best and the worst ever repeat performance, but we'll see what happens from here, my man. Thank you so much. (laughs) I will see you in the free state of Florida probably this weekend. Adios. After being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. Which is like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.